Welcome to this first introductory study to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, here we're going to be breaking down Luke and then working our way into Acts, since those are two parts of the same story. And we're going to break it down verse by verse, looking deeper at the text itself, the words themselves in the original Greek. We're going to be going into the themes and so on and so forth. So join us as we jump into the book of Luke. That was terrible. <clears throat> Welcome to our study through the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is writing this third gospel uh, that we have recorded for us in the Bible, and we're going to dig in deep to what Luke has in store for us. So today our goal is simply to look at the introduction to Luke. Who is Luke? Who is he writing to? What's the purpose of his message? And then we're going to look at the first four verses, which are kind of the preface to this gospel and lay the foundation for how we're going to move forward in the gospel of Luke. So let's start with the background to the book of Luke. Now, Luke himself is the author. He identifies himself uh, throughout the passage here. Um, no, he doesn't. Now, Luke is the author of this third gospel. He's also the author of the book of Acts. We'll talk a little bit about how the two are related in language, in content, and in the continuation of the same story. Uh, but Luke, as the uh, author here, we want to identify who he is, first of all. He is Luke, also known as the evangelist, or Luke, the beloved physician. Those are both terms used for him uh, throughout scriptures by those he traveled with and those who knew him. Now, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, we see Luke is a companion and a loyal friend to Paul. Uh, in uh, Colossians 4.14, he is described as a physician. So again, useful to Paul because of his ability to administer medicine and uh, take care of the needs, the physical needs of Paul. Uh, in fact, throughout the gospel here, Luke uses medical terms. He describes medical situations in more detail than the other gospel writers do, giving a little bit of an indication into his background and his specialty. He notices things that other people don't notice. So his, he's an educated physician, uh, and that all comes through in his writing. He's also a Gentile, which is unique for the writing of a gospel. Uh, he distinguishes himself from Jews with his language. In Acts chapter 1, verse 19, he talks about the Jews and then the rest of us. So he distinguishes himself from the group of Jews. And also in Colossians 4, he's listed separately from those of the circumcision. So Luke was not a part of the circumcised group. He was a non-circumcised person. Otherwise, he was a Gentile. So Luke comes from a Gentile background, was an early Gentile believer in Christ. Uh, he was a physician, well-educated, beloved by Paul, loyal friend to Paul, and uh, ministered to him there. Now, Luke, believe it or not, actually wrote about 25% of the New Testament. We actually, uh, we normally think of Paul as being the one who wrote the most. Paul wrote the most separate works, but Luke in the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts actually comprises about 25% of our New Testament. So he's got a lot of content that's very interesting for us and very applicable to us as we're going to see. Now, the background to this book is we want to look first at our audience. Who is he writing to? In uh, verse 3 of Luke chapter 1, we'll get to there a little bit more in depth, but he says that he's writing for the most excellent Theophilus. And this Theophilus 
uh, it could be a personal name. It could be a name just for anybody uh, to apply to that. It could be for a certain group. We're not sure. Uh, there are certainly individuals with this name at this time. It wouldn't have been uncommon. But the name Theophilus literally means friend of God. Theos in Greek meaning God and philos uh, meaning friend of. So it's a friend of God. <coughs> and so Theophilus, if he was a literal person, would have been named friend of God. It could have been written to that generic group of people that were friends of God, a part of this company as well. Uh, it could have been either one of those. If Theophilus was an individual person, it's most likely that he would have been the owner of Luke. In those days, physicians were not independent physicians. They had rich patrons that would pay them for their services. And so they were a quote-unquote slave at that time. And so they were indentured to their owner to care for their family, their servants, their lands, and so on and so forth. So Luke possibly could have been enslaved to Theophilus as a physician, as a caretaker, and then let out to other believers as Theophilus would have been a believer himself. Um, Theophilus could have simply been a rich patron interested in this material, maybe an early believer that wanted further confirmation, wanted further information, and therefore paid Luke for his services since Luke was educated and detailed. He could have paid Luke for that and simply been a patron of the work of creating this gospel. Either way, it's not significant who Theophilus was because we can see that this gospel itself was written uh, to believers in general. It's meant uh, for a specific purpose that we will get to. Uh, now, Theophilus himself was a believer who needed to be bolstered in his faith. And so whoever he's writing to, the purpose is to bolster the faith, to give certainty and assurance in their faith of those who are believing. And so this book being written to a Gentile audience, Theophilus is probably a Gentile individual or a group of Gentiles, uh, we see that there's numerous things presented here from a very Gentile or Greek perspective. We see Jesus, and we'll talk about this as we talk more about the purpose of the book and the content of the book. Jesus is presented as the ideal form of a man. He is manhood in its perfection. That's a very Greek concept of perfections. comes from Plato uh, and on down. So the perfections of manhood are identified in Jesus. Uh, Luke is also a meticulous researcher. Uh, as we look at the just the first four verses, the prologue to the gospel here, we're going to see that he's writing in a very uh, formal Greek historiographical way that uh, speaks of the education and the meticulous nature and the intent of the writing that Luke is presenting here. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, we also see the elevation of women. We see a little bit more of the equality of women, women put into prominent places, given roles and opportunities that they wouldn't have normally been given in that society. So it's much more of a Greek concept of elevating the role of women in society. We also see the bit of the role of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon Gentiles, as we'll see in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius. And uh, we see the Holy Spirit playing out and bringing out the works of God to fruition, which is going to be the focus of this book. And then finally, we see a presentation of parables. There's quite a few parables in the book of Luke, all of them meant to convey information that might have been otherwise uncertain or, or foreign to the Gentile audience having a Jewish background to it. And so Luke is presenting numerous parables. There are 17 parables exclusive to the book of, of Luke, 
uh, more than any other in Matthew, Mark, and certainly John. And so we see uh, parables becoming an important part in explaining what God is doing here in uh, Luke and how God is fulfilling his mission uh, through the, the gospel of Luke. Now, we also need to write uh, or consider when did Luke write this book? So we've got Luke as the author. He's writing to a Gentile audience, perhaps uh, commissioned by an individual by the name of Theophilus, perhaps writing to any of those people who are young believers from a Gentile background. And, and he's writing certainly prior to 70 AD, and most likely at the end of the 50s, early 60s AD. So we've put the date between about 58 to 63 AD. And so um, it's written prior to the book of Acts. We'll get to that in a little bit. Acts is the uh, companion work to Luke, meant to go together with Luke, but it's volume one, volume two, basically. So Acts follows the gospel of Luke. And in Acts, we, we see Acts ending with Paul under house arrest. And that occurred in about 62 AD. So if Acts concludes in about 62 AD, then certainly Luke had to be written prior to that, prior to the following events. Because what follows that house arrest in 62 AD is that Paul goes on trial and he's killed in 65 AD uh, along with Peter. And we have no mention of Peter or Paul's death or the trials uh, in Rome that Paul went through. And so certainly if Acts were written prior to that time, we would have, or, or following that time, we would have had uh, a, an indication or the completion of that story by Luke about the events of Paul and Peter. There's also no mention of the general Roman persecution under Nero in the mid-60s. And so we find Paul in prison in the early 60s. We see persecution starting, and persecution is certainly a part of the message, but it's not the central part in most of the writings. And so uh, there's no major Roman persecution of the mid-60s talked about uh, in this section. Um, and then finally, there's no mention of the destruction of Jerusalem or the temple in AD 70. And certainly those events we would expect to find in a chronicling of the history of this new way of these believers. <coughs> and so we've placed the date for Luke at about 58, perhaps as late as 63, but probably before 63. I'm going to say around 60 AD if we want to specify a certain year. And so Luke is writing prior to all of those events of the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends in 62 AD with Paul in prison in Rome with no discussion of his trials. And so we can place uh, Luke safely there and Acts safely before 62, 63 AD as well. Now, let's talk a little bit about why did Luke write this book. So we saw that Luke is the author. He wrote it for an individual or perhaps a group named Theophilus. Um, he wrote it around 60 AD. And he, he writes it for a specific purpose. And as we get into the prologue to the book, we're going to see a bit more of that purpose. But verses 3 and 4 really talk about that. I'll read those here and then we'll discuss it. He says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, Luke has a couple of reasons. First of all, he says, I want to write you an orderly account. So I want to write you a, a well-researched, 
precise, accurate record of what occurred. He's, it says he's, he's traced all things. He's followed all things closely from some time past. From the beginning is the actual word there. He's, he's traced all these things from the start to the current day, and he's going to now lay out a clear, concise picture of what has occurred for Theophilus. So Theophilus can have an accurate, orderly record uh, on, on, uh, on hand there. Now, he says that this is not just an orderly account, but the word is a narrative. The term gospel and the concept of a gospel or the preaching of the good news of Jesus wasn't present at that time. He's writing a historical narrative meant to tell the story, meant to present the life and work of Jesus Christ to Theophilus. And so as we read this, we're reading a narrative account that is a historical narrative of the life of Jesus. We've got to keep that in mind. Now, also, he says he's, he's writing this orderly, accurate, well-researched, laid-out account of the life of Jesus for a purpose, in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things that, were, uh, that you've been taught. So, the goal is that you would have certainty, that you would know the exact truth. And these are the things that you have been taught, Theophilus. So, there's a background that Theophilus has. He says, you've been instructed in some things. You've been learning about the Christian faith. You've heard about the Jewish faith. You've converted and become a part of this, but now you need to be established in this and you need to be uh, firmed up. You need to be assured of what you are believing, that it actually is true, that you can have certainty in what you believe. Very true for us today. We could use certainty in what we believe. We need to be grounded and assured that our belief is really grounded in fact and in truth and not just in fable. It's not just a vague belief, but there is a truth uh, regarding our faith. So that's the background. Now, there are numerous themes that come up in the Gospel of Luke. Of course, as we look through the life of Christ, there's lots of things. I've categorized four uh, doctrinal theological themes for us that we're going to look at, and we're going to see repeated over and over again to varying degrees. Uh, One of the first and most prominent themes here is this is a narrative of the life and work of Jesus Christ, is we see some very Christological themes. Uh, We see that Jesus is presented as the Son of Man. Matthew talks about Jesus as the king. He's the great Jewish Messiah, the king that they've been waiting for, promised by God. Uh, Mark presents Jesus as the suffering servant. He's the one that comes to give himself and to die on the cross for us and to sacrifice and give all that he has for our our sake. And Luke, on the other hand, is talking about Jesus as the son of man. He's focusing on the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is a man. He took on flesh and became human for us. And so Luke really captures and focuses on the humanity of Jesus. The the, the prophetical son of man, yes, the, he's God in the flesh, but he's, he, he's really focusing on the flesh part of that as well. And, and with that, because this is a Greek gospel, we've mentioned it, there's a focus on Jesus as the ideal man. This is what humanity ought to look like free from sin. Jesus came. He lived. He lived the perfect life. He lived a life in perfect union with the Holy Spirit, of perfect submission to the Father, of obedience, never sinning, never failing, being tempted in all ways, but never falling short. He is the ideal man, full of wisdom, full of grace, full of power of the Holy Spirit. This is what humanity should look like. It's what you and I should look like apart from our fallen nature. And so this Christological theme, Luke is presenting Jesus in this Christological high humanity theme that we're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke. 
Now, a second theme we're going to see here is ecclesiological. Now, here we're talking about the church. Jesus came to establish the church. He's he's giving uh, the church an identity throughout this gospel. Luke is writing that the salvific message, the message of salvation presented by God through Jesus Christ can become very clear so that his people can be changed and form this spiritual body of Christ here on earth we know as the church. And so what Luke is doing is he's giving assurance to the members of the church, specifically Theophilus, that their interpretation of the events of the life of Christ are correct. He's giving them assurance that the identity that they have in Christ as the church is correct and right. And we're going to harp on that. We're going to jump on that quite a bit as we look through here. And even today, as we finish the prologue, we'll talk a bit more about that. But there's a specific uh, identity of the church and an assurance given to the church throughout the Gospel of Luke. And as we've been talking, there's also a soteriological aspect of this. Now, soteriology speaks about our salvation, our doctrine of salvation. Now, the purpose of God through the, Jesus Christ, through sending Christ and his death on the cross, was the salvation of mankind. And it's the freedom from sin that we're to have there. And so the, the purpose of Jesus, we're going to see a long, extensive section of this book where Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he spends a lot of time in Jerusalem teaching. And then we hear the crucifixion, the resurrection. That takes up the significant portion of this book because it, spoke, it speaks about the mission and the focus of Jesus on the salvific message of God. That God has come to bring salvation to all those who have fallen short by sin. And so that salvation message is going to be very prominent as we get through this as well. And it's through our salvation in Christ that we are the church. We have an identity as the church speaking to our ecclesiology there. And our Christology forms our ability to be saved as we see Christ as the ideal man, the God come in the flesh. So all those really tie in together here. And then finally, there's an apologetic nature to this. Now, when I say apologetic, I don't mean uh, like an apology like you and I would give an apology today. In the Greek world, an apology means to give a defense. There's a, a defense of the message of Jesus Christ given here in the Gospel of Luke. Remember, the purpose of this was that you might have certainty concerning the things that you were taught. It's meant to shore up, to give uh, facts and evidence for your faith, that your faith can be resting solidly on a firm ground, not on some vague notion or some uh, concepts or ideas, but there's tangible reality to your faith. And it was meant to give a defense for the faith that you have, that you're on the right track. And so that's exactly what Luke is doing here throughout his gospel as he's establishing uh, the foundation for uh, the, the, the believers and the foundation for their faith. Now, a brief outline, and then we'll move on to the first four verses today of Luke chapter 1. In, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we have a prologue to the letter, and we're going to dig into that. And then in chapter 1, verse 5, through chapter 2, verse 52, we have Jesus' birth and childhood. So the focus is on the infant Jesus, his development and growth all the way up through his childhood until he goes into his public ministry. Notice there's only about two chapters there. Most of that is focused on his birth. There's so much surrounding the birth of Jesus that's given in Luke that's not given in other Gospels. So Luke is very interested on the origin of the humanity of Jesus and why that is essential for his message. And we'll get to that as we get there. And then in chapter 3, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 13, we see Jesus' preparation for public ministry. 
And so Jesus goes through some preparatory steps, his baptism and his driving out to the wilderness to resist sin and so on, as he's being prepared for now his public proclamation of the ministry of what God has sent him to do. And then chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 9, verse 50, 414 through 950, we see Jesus' Galilean ministry. Now, Galilee is that region in the northern part of Israel, and Jesus was born up there in Nazareth. He was born up there uh, and lived his early years up in Galilee. And so we see his ministry around his hometown and around his the area that he comes from in those chapters. And then we have a long section in chapter 9, verse 51, through chapter 19, verse 57. We see his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. So in that section, we see a long movement where Jesus, it says, sets his face towards Jerusalem. He's committed to go for the purpose that God has called him to, the salvation message that he's given. And so he sets his face and we see him heading towards Jerusalem in those chapters. And then in chapter uh, 19, verse 58 through chapter 21, verse 38, we see Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem, the, the triumphal entry and the things surrounding that. And so Jesus journeys to Jerusalem, then he enters into Jerusalem. And then chapters 22 and 23, we see Jesus's suffering and death, the, the crucifixion account, the trials account, and so on and so forth. And then finally, in chapter 24, we see Jesus's exaltation, his resurrection from the dead, and his victory over death for us. So that's our general outline that we're going to be going along here. And we're going to be following uh, those general concepts as we break the gospel of Luke apart into those sections here. So as we start with Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, this is the prologue. This is the introduction to this work by Luke. I call it a work because the prologue is considered one of the finest sentences of the Bible linguistically. It's such a high-style Greek. It uses very academic words. It uses some very big words. It, it, it's got an exquisite fashion to it. Um, it. It speaks of the education of Luke. He's well-read. He knows how to start a work like this, an academic work. And he approaches it in a very academic way. And he gives a prologue that, that rivals those of Herodotus and Josephus and some of those others during those days. So this is a historical work of academic literature as simply indicated by the prologue. And so let, let's take a look a bit at that prologue. It's, it's a typical prologue that you would see in some of these Greek academic works. And it's, it's a very high style. It's a single sentence there. And they give us some great information in that. Now, let's read the prologue first and we'll dig in. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, I'm reading from the ESV version. If you would like to read from another version, uh, there are certainly some great options out there. Let me read the same thing from the NIV. It says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, 
I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So some slight differences in word order, uh, but the content is virtually exactly the same. Now, we see a couple clauses in here. There's some things that, that are back and forth. Verses 1 and 2 speak about uh, a bit about what Luke is looking at historically. It kind of gives the context into which Luke is writing. Luke is writing uh, within a historical setting in which other people have already discussed these ideas. So Luke is not doing anything radically new. He's not laying anything down that's not been said before in those senses. He's not writing, uh, you know, brand new works. He says there's already this stuff. So that's the context for Luke. There's already these things going on. And then in verses 3 and 4, we see Luke giving the reason or the purpose for his writing. Why does he feel the necessity to add to this corpus of works that's already been going around? And so we see some parallels here. In verse 1, he says that many have undertaken. Many have, have gone about to do this. And then in verse 3, he says, so it seemed good to me also. <laughs> we can kind of see the comparison uh, going back and forth there. He says, many have undertaken in verse 1 to compile a narrative. Many people have gathered and built this narrative and this story. And uh, he says about himself in, in verse 3 that I've decided to write an orderly account. So they're compiling a narrative, and I'm writing this orderly account. They've done this, and I'm doing the same thing that they're doing, is what he's saying. And in verse uh, 2, he says, these are the things that have been accomplished among us. So these are the things that uh, have already been done. And Luke says uh, that he's writing about those things that, that have followed, that he has followed. These are things that he's followed closely since the beginning. So Luke has been a, a part of all of that as well. Um, and then in verse 2, it says that these are uh, the, the writings from those other individuals or those that, things which were from the beginning, uh, you know, that they're writing about the stuff that they've seen and heard. And Luke says that I'm writing about things from some time past. I've been doing this for quite a while. So I, I, I'm looking at those things as well. And he says, these are things that have been delivered from them to us. And then Luke says, I I'm doing that, that you can have this certainty, the things that you've been taught. It's been handed down to you already. You've already received these things. So a couple of parallels between verses 1 and 2 and verses 3 and 4 that we can look at. Now let's look a bit at verse 1. Uh, he says there, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So he says there's there's already many people out there. There's, there's, there's various groups out there writing these epistles. So this is nothing new, or, or I'm sorry, writing these Gospels. A lot of people have already set about this task of writing. Now, we have historically only four Gospels recorded for us in the Scriptures. There's only four Gospels that were uh, God-breathed, that were anointed by God, that, that God set down for us. There are many other people that were writing about these events, they're just not God-inspired or God-breathed. And so we want to be careful when we look at these early gospel accounts. And, and in our world today, we see numerous gospels and fragments of gospels being dug up and interpreted and attempted to be placed alongside the current gospels that we have. Each one of those gospels have significant difficulties, which we'll have to deal with in another situation. But each one of those gospels were not inspired by God, were written by individuals that were not called of God to do that message. And so they've not researched it. They're not writing an accurate account. They're missing out on what God has done for some reason. And so 
Luke says, I, I, I'm joining in. I, I'm writing. Many of these people have undertaken to compile a narrative. They're compiling a story. They're compiling this account. And so Luke is identifying himself with these many. Now, the way he says this in the original Greek, he's not putting down their works. He's not saying anything negative about these other works as if they're insufficient or incorrect or anything like that. He's saying many people have already set to done this, have already been set to do this. Now, I'm adding my voice to the mix. I'm adding to what they're doing. I'm doing the same thing that they've set out to do, but I feel that I've got a researched, balanced account for that as well. And so Luke is giving them so much more as well. And so he, he's, he's identified with them. Matthew and Mark might have been a part of that. Uh, Mark probably, I believe Mark was earlier, so he could have already had Mark's gospel in mind, as well as these various other writings that were going around. And so he's adding his voice to the conversation. And so it says here that they've undertaken to compile. They've put their hand to it. They've set themselves to this task of compiling a organized, ordered account of Jesus Christ. Now, he says it's a narrative of the things that have accomplished or have been accomplished among us. Now, this is in the passive tense in the Greek. It speaks not of man's activity, but of God's activity of accomplishing these things through mankind. And so these are the things that God has done. They've been accomplished, not by us, but they've been accomplished among us. And notice Luke's inclusion there, among us. We're a part of this. God is accomplishing all of this. Now, Luke was not an earlier believer in Christ. Luke was not there when Christ walked the earth and um, uh, did all of his works and went to the, to the cross. We don't believe that Luke was a part of all of that. And so what he's saying was accomplished among us continues on into the book of Acts. This is why we tie Luke and Acts together. Because Acts is the continuation of the work of God through the church, whereas Luke is the work of God through Jesus Christ in establishing the church. And so these are the things that have been accomplished among us through Jesus Christ as he's established the church and he's continuing to work through us. And so Luke says, we're all a part of this and he's identifying himself with that. And then he says that these are the things that have been accomplished or fulfilled. And the idea that means that they're, they're carried through till their end. They're, they're fully done. He's, he's trying to show that there's a divine intervention. There's a weight of divine action, not of human prerogative. This is not something that human history is simply unfolding before our eyes, but this is God driving human history to his designed end. And that's very important here that, that uh, we've, we've got to look at ourselves not as passive or not as active participants in bringing about a conclusion, but in God doing the work through his people, through his sovereignty, through his ability to bring about his salvation. And so this is the work of God amongst the people, he says there. And then on into verse 2, he says, Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. So there were those who early on, they were eyewitnesses and ministers or servants of the word, that they've delivered them to us. So from the beginning, there are those who at the very first, you know, the, the first disciples of Jesus, they were eyewitnesses of all that Jesus had done. And they were ministers, they were servants of of the word, of, of the message of the gospel, of the word himself, Jesus. And so 
They're, they're eyewitnesses uh, since the beginning, and they've delivered to us what they received. So they heard this message. They saw the message. They participated in, the, in this. And, and, and so what we have here is the content of the Christian message, the historical content of the life of Jesus, of the work of Jesus, uh, of what was accomplished through Jesus Christ. It's not a, a hearsay or vague source that we have. We have direct reference. We have direct sources back to the very eyewitnesses of the events themselves. The only way we could get closer if Jesus himself were the one writing and penning this down. But we have direct eyewitness sources of the Christian message. It doesn't get better than that for our confidence in the message of the Gospels, in the message of Christianity, in the message of the life and work of Jesus Christ. We're going back to the original sources. These guys have seen these things, heard these things, participated in these things, and they've told us exactly what occurred, and we're now chronicling for you a record of their eyewitness accounts. That should bolster our faith that we're not going off of accounts that were written hundreds of years later or, or stories that were compiled over time. These are direct from the horse's mouth, if you will. This is as close as we can get to the actual events. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, John, one of the eyewitnesses, one of those credible sources, is saying, "...that which was from the beginning..." which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And so John, in the introduction to his epistle, is, is saying the same exact thing as Luke here. He's saying that which was from the beginning, that which at, at the very origin, at the very start, we've heard him. We listened firsthand. I heard the words of Jesus. And we have seen him with our eyes. We saw Jesus day in and day out. We walked with him. We saw the miracles. We heard the messages. We participated in all of that. We've looked upon him. It means we've gazed. We fixed our eyes upon him. And not only that, we touched with our own hands. We were in the midst of these events. We weren't far off uh, observers, we were right in the middle of it, in the thick of it. So we know exactly what happened down to the smallest little comment that Jesus made, down to the little details. We know every last thing. And that's kind of what John is getting at in 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what Luke is getting to. He's saying, these are the people, they're eyewitnesses, uh, they're servants of the word, and they've delivered these things to us, to those of us that are writing this down for you, that you can be convinced, that you can be sure of your faith, that you know that you have the right message, that we have the truth about Jesus presented to us here. And so, uh, <clears throat> Luke has these incredible sources, these eyewitness sources that are very important for us. And now, this term, lastly, before we move on, in verse 2, the idea of having them delivered to us or handed down. This is a very formal term. It's a technical term for the transmission of tradition from one generation to the next. And so it, it's not a loose telling of stories. It's a formal, technical, 
uh, recitation of what is most important. When you're passing down your traditions, you're passing down your culture, you're passing down your identity, you're going to make sure to get it right. And that's what Luke is saying. He uses the, the most technical, the most precise term he could to say they're passing it down to us as if fine gems are being passed along. And they're careful in the transmission. They're careful in the recitation. It's being passed down carefully and importantly to us. Now, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Timothy says this, that <clears throat> Paul has, has said, you know, what you have heard from me, Paul, Paul says, I've been teaching you, I've been sharing with you, I've been passing down to you all that I know and have experienced. So what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, now you entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So there's this transmission of content, transmission of information that is meant to occur here. And so what Luke is saying is that there have been those who have handed down, who have transmitted the eyewitnesses' accounts. It's the eyewitnesses themselves passing it along and others that have recorded and are passing it on to others. And Paul says now we're to train each other up so that we can continue this message faithfully and accurately. And so, in those two verses, Luke is establishing the context into which he is writing. Here's the situation. All of these people are writing these accounts. There's eyewitnesses. We have all sorts of testimony. It's only uh, maybe 30 years since the death of Jesus that they're writing these Gospels. And he says, we still have these guys here with us. We've talked with them. We've walked with them. And they're telling us what they saw, what they interacted with. And we are chronicling their direct accounts. How much more confidence can we have in the life of Christ than that? So in verse 3, Luke continues, he says, It seemed good to me also, or it seemed fitting, it seemed appropriate. I should also be a part of this. I have information to share, he says. Having followed all things closely for some times past. So I've, I've, I've been researching this. I've been following this ever since I got saved, ever since the, the word of God came to me and I began to understand these things. I've been following these things. I've been uh, looking at things. these things. I've been investigating would be another translation. I've researched this. I've, I've gone to the locations and looked at the sites. I've talked to people that were there and got their stories. I've talked to people within the church. I've talked to people in Judaism. I've, I've researched and investigated and uncovered information that is vital in understanding the account of Jesus Christ is what Luke is saying here. He said, I've followed all these things for some times past. So for quite a while now, I've been investigating this. This isn't a new thing for me. I've endeavored to understand the truth, Luke says. It would be our equivalent of a person who has dedicated themselves to the study and research of one topic. You can pick that topic and go to school for it and earn degrees and then study and, and avail yourself of all of the resources. That's what Luke is saying. He says, I, I, I've dedicated my intellectual pursuits, my understanding, my research, and my resources to this topic of the person of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke says, I'm going to write down this account. I've investigated it. We see some of the descriptions on his investigated. He's followed these things carefully or accurately. I, I, I'm presenting you a carefully thought out, accurate picture from the beginning. I've, I've researched everything. So I'm an expert in this. And so I'm going to write out my findings for you, my direct 
firsthand sources, I'm going to write those out for you. O Theophilus, I'm going to write them down. Now, the idea here of, a cons- of an orderly account, it, many people have looked at this and said it's a in consecutive order. And, and that's another way we could translate it. That's one after the other, after the other, after the other. Now, in ancient times, when Luke was writing, this did not necessarily mean chronologically. And that's where we can get in a little danger with trying to put uh, dates and time order frames within the Gospels and why they differ. Because Luke is writing here, he says he put together an orderly account or a consecutive account. The purpose in writing a narrative is to present a case or to present a person. And so there was freedom in those early days to make uh, events occur in such a way that they would present the person in a particular pattern. And Luke is writing for a specific reason to convince Theophilus to uh, give him assurance, to uh, give him certainty of the life of Christ. So he's arranged the events of Christ in such a way that they would bring certainty of those theological messages of the Christology, the ecclesiology, the soteriology that he's presenting here through Christ. And so this is not necessarily a chronological term. And he's giving assurance rather than giving a time frame. Now, we can see this in some of the other writings of uh, Luke in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts chapter 10, we see the account of Peter and Cornelius. And we have Peter uh, receiving a dream and then going to the town and so on and meeting Cornelius and uh, you know praying with Cornelius and the Gentiles get saved there and the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And all of chapter 10 is dedicated to that account from Luke's perspective. Luke is presenting that account. And in chapter 11 of Acts, Chapter 11, verse 4 specifically, it talks about Peter now steps up and he's recounting that event to those in Jerusalem. And he says, let me give you an orderly account. Let me tell you these things in order. And then he goes on in chapter 11 uh, from verses 4 through 18 to recount the story of chapter 10 between Peter and Cornelius from Peter's perspective. And what you'll notice between chapter 10 and chapter 11 verses 4 through 18 is that there are some slight differences in chronological order because each one is recounting their message for a specific purpose. Luke in chapter 10 is recounting his message to show the work of God in bringing Gentiles into salvation, extending the blessings to the Gentiles. Peter in chapter 11 is recounting his events to the church in Jerusalem to show the work of God there for a different purpose of how they can be accepted now into the church on behalf of the Jews. So we have a different purpose in the recounting. Both of them are given in a uh, orderly account. So a lot to be said there, uh, a lot said there on that short concept. This is not necessarily chronological, but it's organized in such a way to accomplish the purpose that Luke set out for it. And then finally, uh, we've talked a little bit about Theophilus there in chapter 3, whether he's an individual or uh, a group of people, whether he's a benefactor. We simply don't know who he is. We assume he's a Gentile. We assume he's come to faith. He's heard these stories, but he's uncertain. And as persecution is beginning to grow in the early 60s, people like Paul and Peter are being arrested. The church would need to know their identity. They would need to know that they've got the message correct, and they would need to be able to stand firm in the message. And they can only do that by having assurance in what they've heard. And so that's what Luke is trying to do is give that assurance. That's exactly what he says in verse 4 as we finish off. He says, uh, 
I'm writing these things to you. Uh, I've, I've followed them closely for some time past. I'm writing an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And so the word here is, is that you may have certainty, that you may have this firmness and this stability. You're not rocked by every wave of doctrine that comes. You're not rocked by every person who comes along and says, I doubt that, or what about this, or I've heard differently about that, or, or I interpret this differently. You're not rocked easily. Your doctrine is on solid foundation. He says, I want you to have certainty about what you've been taught. So you've been taught these things about Christ. You've been taught these things about the work of Christ, about who Christ is. And I want you to be certain on those things so that you, when troubles come, you can be certain and you can stand fast and have stability and be firm in your belief, not be easily washed away. Now, the idea there about having these things, about, about having that, is that not, not simply that you might possess this strength of faith, but it's a strength of faith that comes, and the word actually means that you're thoroughly acquainted with something. You, you've been able to ascertain, to know the truth about it. You know it accurately, and you know it well. So it's, it's not just that you've heard this story, and you believe it to be true, and therefore you're not going to back down from it. But you are convinced, and you know the story inside and out. You've researched it. You've done your work, so nothing can dissuade you from it now. And in our Christian faith... There's a lot of attacks thrown at the Christian faith, and some rightly so. We should question these things and explore these things and make sure they are so. There's eternal stakes at play here. And so we should be able to hold them up to scrutiny, hold them up to uh, uh, evidence, hold them up to um, accountability. And But we want to have, have a certainty about it. And Luke is writing and saying, I'm writing that you can have this certainty that you can know, that you can know really well, that you can be so familiar with it that you know the ins and the outs. It's not a passing familiarity. It's a time of depth familiarity. You've gone deep into the word of God, deep into the life of Christ, and you know for sure who this Christ is. And so he says, I want you to know that. I want you to know and have certainty about the things that you've been taught about Christ. And now the, the Christian message, I'm going to finish with this thought. The Christian message is directly and inseparably tied to the historical events of the person of Jesus Christ. If there is no historical Jesus, there is no Christianity. If Jesus did not die on the cross and resurrect again, there is no forgiveness of sin. There is no Christianity. If Jesus is not the Son of God, then his death on the cross, even if that is historically accurate, his death on the cross was not sufficient to pay for our sin. Therefore, we are still in our sins. And there is no Christianity. So the importance of the historical truths about Jesus Christ are foundational to our faith. And we need to be certain that Jesus Christ did these things and uh, we have an accurate record handed down to us that we are believing in the truth as it actually occurred. And so that's what Luke is trying to give us these things. But it's not only simply enough to simply believe that Jesus did exist and die and resurrect again. There's an interpretation of those events that's essential. Again, in our world today, there's many people who say a lot of different things about this. They can believe that Jesus 
lived and died. They can believe that he's the son of God. They can believe he resurrected and they can believe a lot of things, but do they believe the proper interpretation of what Jesus was doing? And with that, we've got to take the whole of scripture. And that's what Luke is going to do here. He says, you have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Take all of the rest of scripture and apply it to the life of Christ and now have certainty on who Jesus is. Come to the proper conclusion. And so these events that Jesus Christ has done, the person and works of Jesus Christ as presented in the Gospel of Luke, must be accounted for in light of the, of the message of scripture. And so Luke is going to present the events throughout the Gospel of Luke in light of the rest of Scripture and a narrative that has that perspective. So he's going to lay out the life of Christ from a perspective of the fulfilled uh, Scriptures being lived out through the life of Christ, the mission of God being served through Christ, and the salvation of God being demonstrated to humanity through the person of Christ. And he says, I want you to be certain of those things that Jesus Christ is the real deal. He is the promised Messiah. He did die on the cross. He did resurrect. He did prove himself to be the Son of God. He is coming back, and you have an accurate record for that. And then as we get into the book of Acts, we're going to see he's continuing to work. Just because Christ has gone back to heaven to prepare a place for us, he's continuing to work through you and through me. And he's going to show what that looks like in the book of Acts and give encouragement and structure and order and definition to the church as they continue to operate. So continue on with us here in the book of Luke as we look further into the life and the person of Jesus Christ that we would have certainty in our faith. We're going to look at the historical aspects. We're going to look at the doctrinal aspects and ground our faith in the truth of Jesus Christ and be secure from uh, doubt and, and, and the, the liberal threats, the, the, the things that would throw uh, dishonest doubt on the life of Christ. And we're going to honestly ascertain what we can know and how we can know Christ through all of this. So God bless you. May God keep you. Try it again. May God bless you. May God keep you. May his shine... shine. <laughs> May God bless you. May God keep you. May his shade... Never mind. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time here on Mathetai as we continue on through the book of Luke. I sure hope that recorded. Huh?